Welcome back everyone to the R2 cast, R2 cast number five today. Um, today we've got a researcher and a, a researcher that I know quite well. Um, today we've got Jessica Ireland Hughes who for followers of the Rural to Kitchen page on Facebook and Instagram will know as my girlfriend, my better half some of you might say. Uh, so yeah, if you want to say hi, Jessica. Hello. That's actually quite weird saying Jessica. I mean, Jess is I call her Jess all the time. Uh, I don't know why I said Jessica. I just tried to be professional. But <laughs> before we get into the podcast today, guys, um, I actually recorded two weeks ago's uh, today as well as this one. So I had to change my clothes and actually pretend I wash from time to time. But it's all it's all a, it's all a facade. I don't actually wash that much and change my clothes as much with working from home. Um, but. If I could just ask you guys, I don't know if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, if you are, like, comment, subscribe, get involved. Um, if, if you're seeing it through the link on Facebook and Instagram, uh, do the same, follow and like the page there. And maybe if you listen to your podcasts, I certainly know I'm not someone who watches much podcasts, I'm more of a uh, sort of put my headphones on and, and uh, go a walk, pretending I actually go a walk, but uh, you know, that sort of thing's more where I do it. So it's available on Spotify, it's available on Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Breaker, I'm missing one, Radio Public, uh, all of which are the links will be will be down below. But that's that's enough of me rambling on, and um, we'll get into sort of Jess's story. So before we get into what you're actually doing, Jess, what your job is at the minute, and and, and what your sort of aspirations are and whatnot. Who, who, who is Jess Ireland Hughes? Where did you come from? What, what's your sort of story? Um, okay, so I am Jessica and I am from uh, Dumfries and Galloway, um, a little village uh, just kind of near Thornhill. And I'm not from a farm or anything. Um, I've not really got much ties to the countryside other than kind of field sports and things. Um, and I went to the Barony College um, and did a NC qualification in animal nursing assistance and I was kind of aiming to become a vet nurse at the time but science really interested me and there were a couple of classes where we were looking at things under the microscope so that kind of led me to going down more of a sciencey route and I went to the Riverside campus, uh, the SRUC Riverside campus to do an agricultural bioscience degree um, and it's kind of from there I've just got more into kind of researching diseases and things. Um, went to do a master's at Aberystwyth Uni in Wales and that was where I kind of started focusing a bit more on what I'm doing now. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I've got to here at the moment. So yeah, good stuff. Just And that that's sort of one of the cool things about the people we're having on is uh, two weeks ago, uh, Flavian had, had came from a family in an area where agriculture was was done, but not necessarily coming from it. Um, with a, you know, yeah, that's the case, and, and it's the case throughout farming. We we have this sort of idea that we've all been grown up, our grandparents and our parents have farms, and we've just sort of moved in that way. But it's not the case, and uh, there's there's so many ways in. So what? What um, did your your undergraduate degree there, Jess, uh, and and your postgraduate degrees involve? <clears throat> um, they were well with an undergraduate degree. To be honest, actually, with both, they were pretty split half and half with kind of studying things to do with animals, like livestock husbandry, um, and science around that, and then plant science as well. Um, 
So I, at the start, I was actually, I didn't really like all of the plant stuff at first. Um, I really hated it, as you know, um, and I didn't do very well in it. So in my second year, I actually went to the um, Edinburgh campus, the SRUC Edinburgh, um, to study animal science. But for me, I found that it was, I kind of wanted to come back to the half and half split of livestock and plant science, because I thought they kind of came quite well together. So, um, So yeah, it was just pretty much a split of that and um yeah uh, mm-hmm. the same the same at masters as well or just sort of focusing into uh, it was it was livestock science you studied at masters wasn't it so i guess there was less plant stuff on in there or was there any um there was one class but it, it kind of worked out a, maybe like a kind of 30 70 split where more livestock right. um so yeah yeah no i, I think <laughs> i think a lot of us you know, as a lecturer, I see it myself in students, and I saw it uh, with you and I when we were both students. We go into to a course, and we've got this sort of background in, in, in livestock or, or animals, in, in your case at the time, and you're like, plants, why are they important? But it's it's all all inter, intertwined sort of thing, and yeah, once once you can sort of realise the importance of, of uh, plant science and animal science, then they, they come pretty much hand in hand. And for any listeners that are, are sort of watching or listening, um, I assume if you're listeners, you're listening. Uh, when If you ever do come into a position where you're learning about animal science or agriculture or whatever, try and get the bigger picture of everything. Um, I know, <laughs> I'm sure Jess won't mind me saying, her dad will often tell her she doesn't consider the big picture. And, oh, totally. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I've heard him say it more than I've heard him say his own name, but uh, it's it's very true and I've taken it on myself. And if, if you are looking at getting into animal science, just always consider that to feed those animals, we do require uh, plant-based products as well. Totally. Um, yeah, so... After your master's, yes, uh, you'd been down... Well, actually, tell you what, before we go after your master's, what, what made you choose... Uh, I don't actually know if you've said yet where you did your master's, um, but uh, you'd been in Scotland up until your master's. What made you choose to go elsewhere? <coughs> and where did um, you go? <laughs> um, I think I said, but I'll say again. So I went to Aberyst with uni, which is um, in Bangsmack in the middle of Wales, uh, two hours from any other civilization. Um, I decided to go there because my dad actually did his undergraduate degree there many, many years ago. Um, And funnily enough, some of the lecturers I had actually taught him as well. Um, So that was kind of part of the reason because he knew how good a university it was. Um, And also for me, I did want to do a master's, but I didn't really know. I wasn't, as I said, I wanted to study something to do with diseases, but I wasn't exactly sure yet. And I thought it'd be good to do a degree, a master's degree that's a bit broad but I can specify in things so that's what made me choose the livestock science because it was quite it was broad but you were able to kind of specialize in certain things and then obviously you've got a length of time to do your project your honours project which you really focus on something so yeah yeah good um and before I'll, I'll let you say the actual title of what you're doing at the minute because uh, I have learned it and I actually know how to say it correctly nowadays <laughs> but um, I'll, I'll leave it up to yourself but before we get into that um, it's dairy based what you're doing these days was uh, was dairy always your sort of intention or had you anything else you wanted to look at before that? Uh, no dairy was not at all and I'll hold my hands up and say there will be plenty of people that don't have any qualifications or 
haven't got a degree or masters or whatever that will know 10 times more about the dairy industry than me um you know that's not been my focus um but before that i was mainly i was really interested in a uh, sheep farming because obviously working with yourself and your parents um so that was kind of something that I was quite interested in. Um, and then also pig farming as well. I took a bit of a notion to go down that route. Um, and I'd been following African swine fever virus um, at the time, like a couple of years ago. Um, and then obviously I did my master's project on African swine fever virus, um, learned so much about it. But what I actually wanted to do was learn about other pathogens as well because as you said my dad said I'm very specific um, and I think if I had found a PhD in African swine fever I literally would have focused on nothing else for the rest of my life apart from that and I thought that's I can't do that so um, that's why I kind of branched out and saw that when, when this project came up this PhD one um, I thought this is perfect because it's different animals and a different pathogen as well so um, yeah yeah, a, a big jump, a sort of step into unknown almost then. Uh, and, and it's true, you, when you said you got quite a bit of experience at our farm. And when, when you were there, I was always sort of trying to teach you what was happening farming-wise and you were looking into diseases and whatnot. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and uh, you really question it. So I guess sort of disease modelling in a sense and epidemiology is, is sort of related in different animals. So, so what... What, what is your PhD? What, what's the project you're currently doing and, and what sort of position are you in? Okay, so the title of the PhD is The Epidemiology of Mycoplasma bovis in Scottish Dairy Herds. Um, so I'll, I'll break that down because it's a lot of Thank big you. words that are just a bit, <laughs> make no sense. Um, so epidemiology is the study of the um, occurrence and patterns of disease in um in populations um so and mycoplasma bovis is the pathogen that i'm looking at um it's uh it causes chronic pneumonia and mastitis in dairy cattle along with other symptoms um it spreads in milk semen direct contact it survives in the environment for a long period of time um, and we can't treat it very easily because it's resistant to the most commonly used antimicrobials um, or antibiotics anyways like penicillin uh, that's ineffective so um, and we don't really know much about this bacteria so that's why we're looking at it um, so basically the kind of a kind of overview of the project is that at the moment we have got 180 to 190 dairy farms throughout the country signed up and they are sending us um, bulk tank milk samples. Um, so for those of you who don't know, when um, in the parlour, when all the milk is collected into a bulk tank, so that's what we're what the farmers are sampling from. Um, they're sending it to us and we are testing it for the presence of the mycoplasma bovis to see if there is an infection at the moment um, and also for antibodies which would suggest that there might not be an infection at the moment but there's been a recent infection because they're still shedding the antibodies because um, they're still getting rid of the infection so that's the stage we're at at the moment. And uh, any findings yet or no? Not allowed to say? Um, <laughs> not really allowed to say no. Um, it's very interesting though um, and at the moment already we're able to see we're, we're kind of making observations already and then it's helping to set the kind of stone for like the next stage um as to what we're going to do because we're hoping to go onto some farms as well so that'll be when it gets really interesting yeah and you've, you've kind of outlined a problem that oh god 
further folk on. I think we've all talked about this being a, an issue and who out of the almost 8 billion folk on the planet haven't felt this. Has, has COVID impacted things or have you sort of seamlessly just kept going as normal? Um, I was held back for about five to six months. Um, so if anyone reads The Scottish Farmer and sees um, and maybe follows like SRUC's social media pages, um, you would have seen that in February 2020, kind of February to March, we were releasing loads of stuff. Like we had a press release. Um, I wrote an article for The Scottish Farmer. Um, we were just like trying to promote the project because that was a big part of it was we wanted to make farmers aware so they could sign up. Um, and, you know, we put all this effort in and then all of a sudden, bang, lockdown. So, yeah, we had to put it on hold for the six months. But we've been so lucky that the majority of the farms that we signed up at the start of the year, um, by August, they were so keen to get going again. So it was really, really good. And then also we've picked up a huge like chunk more dairy farms as well for the study. So um, it, it did impact it, but it's we just got to move on from it and we're... We're chugging along nicely. Will will that push back your sort of end date, or or will that not? You don't really uh, know. Don't really know actually. Yeah, and but this is something that we've actually, funnily enough, had a conversation um, with my supervisors maybe four days ago or something. Um, so yeah, we'll find out um, nearer the time, but hopefully not, because it would be nice not to have to add on another few months to the study. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as much as you're enjoying it, obviously, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the guys listening, um, whether whether you are from farming research uh, or not at all, and just and just you've came across this podcast one. I don't know how. Great, I'm glad you're here. Um, is number two. Uh, and before Jess really started talking about PhDs and whatnot, personally, all I really knew about them was Sheldon Cooper and Leonard Hofstadter, um, and it's, it's always seen as this big thing. And I always saw doctorates and PhDs as, you know, oh my God. And I think I still do. Like, there's so much involved in them, but what actually is involved in them? Um, so <clears throat> it does differ with the kind of discipline you're in. So I'm going to speak for science ones because I'm not sure at all about kind of arts and humanities. So they, they could differ completely. Um you have a period of time, um, generally kind of three years onwards. So for me, I'm three and a half years. And you have a kind of overall theme or question that you're trying to answer. So um, again, I'll use my project as an example to explain this. So we're looking at Mycoplasma bovis and how it behaves in dairy herds. Um, but then within that, you have a series of um, questions and studies that you want to do, and that will differ with them. I mean, sometimes some projects will have maybe two or three studies, some can have even more. Um, and you're just trying to answer the questions. Um, you have to submit um, a thesis which it differs on the um again the discipline and also like different universities i think have different word counts but i mean for me i think it's like 60 to eighty thousand words um and then you've also got to produce some scientific papers as well which um, will go out into the world for people to criticize and reference hopefully um so those papers that go out do you is it is it part of i don't want to say part of your grading but is, is it also, do those those papers that go out or, or that thesis you produce, does that have to be 
tried and tested by a sort of other academics or they got a question have you got to defend it how, how does that work yeah um so your thesis is i don't actually i probably should but like i'll do this at some <laughs> point nearer the time when i've actually got to focus on all this but um like there are you do have um people that do go over everything um the go over whole thesis um and I, do, I think they're the same people that will also do your viva which is you have to go into a room or during covid online um and you can be there i think it can be like three four hours and you've got to defend your thesis um you've got to you'll get asked loads of questions um about what you've done um why you chose to do different uh, protocols and um I'm, I'm trying to think like the literature that you know as well um it's like you know really intense to make sure that you're basically worthy of being able to put phd at the end of your name so um yeah it's quite a big thing <laughs> i assume there's quite a few folk out there a few of us have been sort of through degrees and whatnot and and personally i quite enjoyed the chats of presentations and vivas and whatnot but i'm really realizing that my viva was somewhat many um so if if you've got the 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 date for your viva and you know you're going to be talking and defending for three and four hours what, what what's going through your head how do you prepare for that sort of thing is that a wing it type deal and and sort of know it well or are you spending weeks preparing for that um yeah i think you'd advise to prepare for weeks um like at the <coughs> university of glasgow there is a course called the viva survivor um you know so they are like it's it's very important so um i think if you go in winging it unless you're one of those people that wings everything and just knows everything you'll be fine but yeah i'll the advice i've been given is you know prepare and prepare and prepare again and you probably still won't be prepared enough but you'll, you'll get there <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's it's i think i'm just thinking about the, the the length the length of your phd thesis there um First off, I guess I've got two parts to this question. Is it structured the same way as the dissertation? So sort of you're going through methodologies, aims, objectives, literature reviews, that sort of thing, and then your, your actual research, obviously. Or is there more to it? Uh, or what, what can, what's the comparison there? Um, this is, again, actually a question I, I had with my supervisors this week and also with two fellow PhD students um, that I spoke to yesterday. Um, so the structure will depend on your discipline, on the school you're with. Um, so for example, like I'm at Glasgow University, but I'm with the MVLS, the Medicine, Veterinary and Life Sciences. Um, and it also depends on your supervisors as well. So um, they might want a certain way. So there's, there's different ways that you can do it. Um, you can have, and I, I think this is kind of going on to a different kind of down a different route but there's um a thesis by publication and i think that's different again where you actually have to publish papers to get the thesis um so there's that but that's different to like what i'm planning to do is um have you have multiple chapters and instead of with a dissertation you as you say you have like your literature review methodology results discussion you may have chapter one is a literature review um, chapter two could be an entire study all in one and then but then you can break it down even more it can be so different so like I'm hoping that two of my um, at the moment I've got kind of two studies in mind or two papers should I say for the study that I'm doing at the moment and they will be chapters in themselves um, 
but the methods for them will be potentially the same chapter. So it's, yeah, it's very different. It just depends what works best for what you're doing. I think that's the main thing. Um, what flows better? Some people can group things together, others split it all up and it's very confusing. Yeah, and I've actually, I mean, I didn't tell you this before, but when I put out um, that I was going to have you on the podcast, a few folk had some questions for about, about PhDs. So that's what some of these are. Okay. Um, and one of, one of the sort of, one of the sort, there were, none of them were a bit about sort of your PhD in particular. <laughs> that, that sounds terrible. <laughs> but, uh, I didn't say what it was. They were about sort of um, just a PhD and, and what, because yeah. it is such a not unachievable thing, as yourself and many others are proven, <laughs> but it's, it's something that is at least five years away uh, if yeah. you're just starting out. Um, and you're talking about 60 and 80,000 words there. The, the sort of cramming dissertation is almost a trend. As a lecturer, I 100% do not advise any of you do it. Um, <laughs> I, I would say take week, months, not even weeks, months uh, of, of preparation into your dissertation. Make sure, first off, you're doing it in something you enjoy as well. Uh, I'm sure that would be something you'd advise too, Jess, with, with what you're doing. Um, but is, is, is the sort of desk-based based study a thing in PhDs like I know you're out and sampling and whatnot is it po quote unquote possible to do that if you in the time you can write 60,000 words is it possible to do that or is there always that sort of practical research that you're carrying out um it does depend on what your discipline is like again you know it's, what do you mean sorry as in like yeah, no, it's fine. So, like, I mean, you'll quite often hear someone will write their 10,000-word dissertation uh, mm -hmm. the night before because the the research they're doing, they can sort of do from looking at papers. Oh, right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get what you mean, yeah. <coughs> um, yeah, it will actually depend what you're doing. Um, you know, like, I couldn't cram all of this all into a short period of time. You know, I've got, a, for me, it'll be a year's worth of a study that I've got to write up. So, like, you couldn't do it very quickly um but there there are some desk-based ones you know if you're doing like genomics and you're working with like the thousands and thousands and thousands of rows and rows of data that you may be able to i don't yeah it, it's not I, th I have heard of some people leaving things till the last minute um and it terrifies me even at like undergrad level that stressed me out so much um people leaving it like how how could you do that you know you need to be ahead and i am quite a last minute person as well but that's just something else. Yeah, no, it, it's it's a question that I was, I don't think I'd ever really asked you. And when I got it, I was like, oh, that's a cool one. I assume the answer is much like a dissertation, but a lot more extreme that yes, may be possible, but 100% yeah. do not do it. No, and I think the problem as well is, so for anyone watching this or listening that has done a dissertation, like, think about your literature review. You know, for me, I... I, my literature reviews were pretty good, but they weren't a, a review of the literature. You know, they were just, I found as many papers that were relevant and put them in and kind of tried to cover everything. With like a literature review and a thesis, you are actually reviewing the literature. So, you know, I couldn't just, um, I'm trying to think of an example of something. So, like a thing with Mycoplasma bovis is that it spreads... Um, and milk and colostrum fed from infected cows to calves. So I couldn't just pick one paper and say, you know, 
someone et al say, says that it spreads that that's really bad English I won't write like that in my thesis but you know this person says that it spreads in the milk and colostrum you have to really back it up and have you know you can't just look at one paper that's about that's on this area um, and you've also got to discuss it you know you can't just say this person said this it's more yeah you more discuss it and actually talk about it you've got to show that you understand that's the main thing it's not just a case of showing that you can reference showing that you kind of understand these papers and you know that they're relevant you've got to fully understand because at the end of the day like i remember and like within the first week i had or the second week um i had a meeting with my primary supervisor and he said um you know by the end of this you'll be an expert in the country on mycoplasma bovis and i was like that's a lot of pressure and he was like oh i know but it's true and that is the thing after this you will be an expert in that specific thing albeit it is very specific but you will be the expert in it so yeah like it has to you have to show that in the thesis and in your viva when you're defending it yeah yeah a lot of, a lot of pressure on that part for sure <laughs> yep um I, I guess i've got a few questions of uh, not necessarily what's next but what can come next but i just want to we've sort of you know uh, it's on the epidemiolo epidemiology of mycoplasma bovis in Scottish data airs. Just wanted to say it and show that <laughs> I, I can talk to people. Um, uh, we haven't really talked about it. You said what it is very briefly, but um, could you give us an in-depth thing of it? Uh, what First off, I think a lot of people, when we listen to something we don't know much about, we want to know the serious things. Can it kill animals? Um, stuff like that, and, and just give us some information on that. Who does it target? Does it target calves or uh, bulls or cows or what, what sort of thing are we looking at? Okay, so um, I'll point out, because I'll probably end up repeating myself saying this, we don't know a an awful lot about my a, an awful lot about mycoplasma bovis, um, so I'll probably repeat myself for that. Um, so um, it causes chronic pneumonia in calves. Um, it can be really nasty um, and it can kill calves and it can generally also make them, they just don't really grow. Like you can kind of pick out a calf that if you look in a group, you can usually see the ones that probably have mycoplasma bulbus because they just look miserable. Um, it can also cause middle ear disease. Um, so that means that they end up kind of with like a, an ear droop, one or two ears droop or a head tilt as well um with the cows they can develop mastitis um so this is just your typical mastitis uh, the udders are swollen red pus coming out of them you know tender and things um and usually cows will need to be culled um because if it doesn't get any better um also it, God, I just need to like reel it off. Um, I should have it in my head. All ages of cattle uh, can develop synovitis and arthritis, which is inflammation of the joints and the synovial fluid around the joints. Um, so this will cause lameness. Um, I, I don't think this tends to really generally kill them, but this will... Usually this is a kind of secondary thing that happens um, as well as either the pneumonia for the calves or the mastitis in the cows. And less common symptoms are... Uh, conjunctivitis, which is eye disease basically um, and it can make them blind um, and also reproductive disease so it can cause infertility and um, abortions too but I'll also point out one thing that we don't fully understand is the fact that some animals will become asymptomatic carriers so these animals show no symptoms and they can 
they basically like harbour the pathogen and infect the rest of the herd. So they don't suffer at all, but they'll spread it to all the other animals. And this makes it really hard um, for, because they're basically a, a constant source. On top of that, you have um, the, some animals will intermittently shed the pathogen. So what I mean by this is when you're infected, like for example, I'll relate this to COVID. So when, when you're going for your COVID test, um, they're obviously looking to see if you're shedding the pathogen or antibodies or anything, you know. Um, and if they test you too early, then you're not going to be shedding it because you're not infected yet. Um, so it's the same with pretty much every pathogen. So with the mycoplasma bovis, though, they, you shed, it kind of, you'll shed and then stop shedding and then shed and then stop shedding. So if you get asymptomatic carriers and they're shedding intermittently, you can kind of see how you'll be testing the herd and you're maybe not finding the ones that are positive that are infecting the herd, if that makes sense. So then it can really become a problem. Um, so, yeah, and I'm trying to think what else. It generally tends to, once it's in the herd, it'll spread. It doesn't seem to spread too rapidly from what I understand anyways. Um, and it spreads... There's quite a lot of spreading from the cows to the calves. So that's why it's really important for um, your kind of hygiene and husbandry and things to be really good. And it's also something that we're trying to look into more. Because as I said before, we don't understand a lot of how it... We don't fully understand how it spreads and like how it actually behaves as well. So um, there's a lot of unknowns, but it's, it's not... Um, it's not a really deadly pathogen, but... Then again, we don't actually know much about it. Um, and in New Zealand at the moment, they've got a whole, they, I think, how much is it? $8 million or something like that um, is going towards eradicating mycoplasma bovis because they've got a problem. But we don't really know how many herds in Scotland or in the UK. I probably should have pointed that out at the start. Actually, the whole reason for this project is that we don't actually know how many farms in Scotland have it. So, yeah. so I guess I guess take home from that is... Uh, can directly kill but more leads to sort of like a uh, it creates an infection that leaves yeah. the suppressed and it can then yeah it's more chronic um and with calves they will die because it's if you like i've seen some of the post-mortems of some of the lungs and they're horrible they are just filled with you know little kind of pus and stuff like that it's it is really nasty for the calves um and I just want to clear one thing up, but I, I do this if folk ever say words that I don't fully understand, just for the viewers as well. Asymptomatic, that means an animal that's not showing symptoms. Yeah, not showing right? any symptoms, yeah. Yeah, cool. And then symptomatic, I guess, the opposite, where it is shown. Yeah, cool. Uh, so what what do you as the researcher, I mean, as, as a... As, as a, a farmer and someone with an interest in animal welfare and, and uh, just farmer welfare as well, I'm sure that the, the result you want to find is is no mycoplasma bovis. I'm sure that's not going to be the case, but um, as, as little as possible. But what, what do you as a researcher want to find? And if you find, quote unquote, nothing, is that bad? Um, so it's not actually I'll, I'll use an example of this. So we're doing two tests on the milk. Um, as I said, so one is to look for the actual presence of the mycoplasma bovis itself and one for the antibodies. Um, so if we we found that, like I can say, you know, there is presence of mycoplasma bovis um, antibodies circulating, but the big concern is when 
one of the tests doesn't show anything, um, that can be good because you think, oh, there's there's no mycoplasma bovis. But it could also be that the test isn't as, and I'm not going to go into too much science, but the sensitivity and specificity, which you may have heard thrown about in the news with COVID, which are related to the ability of these tests to detect true positives and true negatives. Um, so if you had 100 cows or 100 individuals of whatever and you're testing them, um, you want your sensitivity and specificity to be as high as possible so that you're definitely going to detect true positives. So if this individual A is positive, you want to, that test to come out positive um, and you want to reduce the number of times that you know, someone, an individual is positive and it comes out negative. Um, so, yeah, as much as we don't want to find anything, you know, if we don't find anything, that could also mean something is wrong with the test and it's maybe we're needing to do more work on that. Um, but, yeah, we definitely, it is circulating. Like, that's something I can say. So, just about my side question, I guess, what's, what's worse? And before you answer, I want to have a guess. Uh, what's worse out of a false positive and a false negative? Is a false negative worse because you could miss something, whereas with a false positive, you're probably going to check again? Um, that's a good question, actually. And I feel like it's something I maybe should have came across, and I might say something wrong. So I'd like don't quote me on this as, as like a science okay. thing. Yeah. <laughs> I would maybe say that... Well, so... Yeah, probably a false positive is maybe better. Because I suppose it's a bit like with TV, isn't it? When you're testing for reactors, yeah. you know, they get a second go. Well, I suppose they get a second go if they're positive. Um, yeah, probably a false positive would be better. Um, yeah. Ideally, none. But yeah, but then I suppose as well, depending on what you're testing for. So as I said, with mycoplasma, obviously you can't treat it um, if you have... A positive and um, you may not think it's a false positive and the animal would be killed anyways but that that can yeah true actually yes. too. so it's kind of it's it's 50 50 you know it just depends no um yeah i mean really interesting and i'm sure there's a lot of folk that that, that are interested in science and uh, and are, are wanting to wanting to hear from people like yourself and, and the plan for this podcast is I'm going to try and uh, I'll offer it up to schools and whatnot if they want to want to hear where you can get and, and whatnot and um, I'm sure that they'd really like to hear that uh, but we, one more thing before the, the famous two questions that I ask everyone I say famous <laughs> I make myself sound fancy um, <laughs> before we get into that though what you're doing this PhD at the minute you've got what another 18 months left maybe even a bit more somewhere in that two year ballpark um, what's next? What, what what can happen? Not necessarily what's your plan, but what can happen? Um, well, quite a few different routes. Um, I could go into, I think I'd be mad to be honest, uh, but you can go into postdoc research, which is just continuing on. Um, I don't think you get anything added on to your name. Surely not, because I don't know what else they could do. Um, so yeah, you can go into postdoc research. Um, just research in general. I don't know if research after a PhD is always called postdoc research. I don't know. Probably something I should know. Um, teaching at colleges and universities um, and just more research. And then I suppose because when, when you do your PhD in your specific subject, you can continue researching that. So, you know, like a postdoc will generally be in the area, you know, that you're working on. So 
don't know, I'd maybe continue looking at Mycoplasma bulbus or maybe be sick of it by the end of the years. <laughs> well, I mean, you've kind of answered my next follow-up question was going to be what's the difference between research and post-op research. Um, but uh, so after, what's that, maybe 23 years by then in education, you're still considering more? Uh, are you mad? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I think, to be honest, the more I speak to people that have done PhDs or are currently doing them, like, we're all the same. We all just, you, like, live and breathe your subject. <laughs> you don't do anything else. And that's all you do is you think about it, you talk to people about it, you find it hard to talk not about your PhD to people. So, yeah, I think we're all a bit nuts. <laughs> Yeah, and, and uh, as as the boyfriend of a PhD student that we're currently talking to, um, even date nights and whatnot do involve the chats about <laughs> Mycoplasma bovis, and I look down at my steak and think, you know what, <laughs> it's, it's, it's enjoyable now. Um, but no, I mean, we're talking about that. This is almost a date night for Jess and I, because we, we haven't seen each other in about well, almost a month now, so it's quite nice to talk, even though it is uh, uh, maybe not what you would normally talk about over dinner. Um Although, moving on, um, we, we always ask uh, everyone two questions. First off, I'd just like to thank you for, for taking your evening and, and, uh, and having a chat with us. Um, this is probably this has been recorded about a month before it's actually going out. Uh, so maybe come the time it's out, um, if, if you have any questions for Jess, first off, feel free to fire them at me and, and I'll pass them on to her and maybe, maybe even pass... Jess on to you sort of thing and, and you can have yeah. a chat without me being the confused middleman um, and, and the reason I'm saying that is a month down the line things may have changed with the project you know things will be progressing at, at quite a rapid speed I assume but um, we've just talked about there the sort of possibilities for progression from yourself and you've, you've sort of uh, pinpointed your your mad scientistness <laughs> and the plans to continue but um, where, where do you see where do you see well, it'll be Dr. Ireland Hughes in five years. <clears throat> I don't know. I really don't know. Um, I think I'd definitely like to stay in the field of epidemiology. Um, I'm really interested in the kind of the like domestic animals and wildlife population interactions and disease spread there. So I don't know, maybe something like that. Um, yeah, that would be quite good. Uh, maybe doing a bit of teaching. I don't know. I'd have to be, see if I'm good at it first. I've got my first trial of teaching this month, so we'll see. Maybe that'll be, you know, <laughs> by the time this is out, I'll probably not be wanting to teach. <laughs> uh, but and yeah, I don't know. You've, you've actually just pointed something out there that I meant to cover earlier on. Have you been teaching uh, at all with it or not? Is um, Not yet, although, well, I've done one talk um, to some of the college students um, just about what I'm doing. Um, and I've got three lectures coming up um, over the next months but also as well one thing that I'd quite like to point out quickly is one thing with a PhD is you get lots of training as well and this some of it is mandatory and is on you know how to be a researcher and things but there's a lot of opportunities and training for public engagement as well um, so you can get involved in um, like science communication which is so much fun and I wish I'd done it sooner um, and if it wasn't for Covid I'd be doing a lot more but obviously I can't at the moment um, but that is one good thing that's um that you can do so so what's science and communication just quickly um just like you know a bit like what you're doing with the riddle to kitchen but with science so stuff like like promoting stem so science technology engineering and maths um that could, it can be anything like getting involved with groups like i'm in our leaders in science um 
group at the moment and we are helping high school students to achieve their Young STEM Leaders Award um, and it's, it's really good fun. Um, so yeah, I think stuff like that oh, is, yeah, is really that's good. Quite yeah, that's quite oh, it is. Good. Um, so, yeah, where do you see yourself in five years? Not quite at the, the, the intentions of feet up in the Bahamas with a pina colada yet, but uh, <laughs> still still not quite certain. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you'll still still be in your 20s then, so it's, I'm sure quite a lot going on at that stage. Um, the only other thing I, I really ask folk, unless you've got any sort of burning questions, no beard comments, I get that from everyone, um, and enough from you off camera. Uh, what sort of if you had any tips for anyone going into farming in general and then also or you don't have to talk about farming research as well and, and sort of agricultural science what, what would they be okay so for farming first um it's knowing people definitely and it can be hard to get to know people at first um i i, I even found like you know obviously i was getting experience at your parents farm wallace and that was great but going out to other farms that didn't have connections with you it was really hard trying to say you know please you know let me come and have some experience um so like i do empathize with people if you're trying to get into agriculture it, it is tough and it, you do i feel like you have to um kind of prove yourself a bit more but persevere and it'll be fine and before you know it you'll be in the industry and it's great um with science and kind of getting more if you if something like even any postgraduate study or research um, that you want to do i would say go for it um with i could probably go on about this for this could be like a whole other talk um i'll try to summarize it so to get into if you want to study a phd the first thing i'd think of is um are you willing to dedicate your the next few years to this um because you're gonna go mad and it's a long time and it is as much as it's rewarding it's also not going to be enjoyable if your heart isn't in it and you're not prepared kind of linked to that pick a subject that you're really interested in if, it's, if you're not passionate about it don't do not do a phd in that specific field go into something else like i'm very passionate about diseases and learning about them which sounds a bit weird you know i love diseases um but like I wouldn't be where I was if I wasn't as passionate about it. Um, finances as well. Make sure that you are going to get this support that you need because um, you get money from the university or whatever for doing the research. But in some cases you don't and you might have to move away. Um, trying to think what else. Um, and don't be afraid as well to go branch out into a kind of field that you've never done before so like i'd never really touched on epidemiology until my master's and then i chose to do a project an infectious disease modeling which i'd never done before in my life i didn't get the best grade out of it but it gave me the experience which i then could prove to my future potential supervisors that i am desperate to do this and i'm willing to learn and look how much i've learned and then i obviously got it so yeah but i think that's the main things i would consider <laughs> if there's anything else um can add it so i guess underlying ones are try hard and don't be scared to put yourself out there yeah <laughs> yeah uh, and as someone who was uh, talking to jess quite often when she decided to jump to that modeling uh, master's dissertation um into the complete unknown it did come with a bit of stress i think would be fair to say <laughs> a bit so, I was, I was trying to be diplomatic. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was really hard, but it was definitely worth it. Like, 
as I said, I wouldn't have got this PhD if I hadn't done it because I had I had no knowledge of not, I didn't have no knowledge. I had limited knowledge of the dairy industry compared to other potential candidates, and I didn't know anything about epidemiology. But this is the one thing I knew. So, oh yeah, like as much as it is stressful, just you have to. Sometimes you just have to go for it. You know, I could have got a better grade with another project, but I chose to stress myself out for months. <laughs> grand, grand, good stuff. Well, um, is there anything else you'd like to say, Jess? Um, anything else not covered? I don't think so, but if anyone has any questions about doing a master's, um, doing a PhD, even just anything about, well, maybe not anything about science, I'm not a fountain of knowledge in science, just, you know, it's something specific like this, or about getting into agriculture, I suppose, as well, then, yeah, definitely fire questions to Wallace, because I'm... Um, I didn't have anyone to ask before when I was trying to get into all this. So, like, if I can help one person, just ask away. Even if you think it's stupid, probably isn't. Yeah, and I think the probably isn't part's quite important. Um, I mean, for anyone that knew me at college, at university, I was the one that never, ever stopped asking questions. And I think a lot of my mates were maybe uh, at a... Uh, at a loss as to how I found so many questions, but um, as now a lecturer, you have no idea how much one that will benefit you. It'll benefit us as the lecturers because we were probably bored at you not asking questions. And honestly, the most important part of it <coughs> is uh, the other people in, for example, we're talking about my class. I've just activated Siri somehow. Um, the person in. Could you try again? Two seconds. Um, the other people in the class, in the room, wherever you might be uh, at the time, a convention, whatever, 99% of the time they're thinking it. <clears throat> so uh -huh. uh, asking questions is so important and, and I really okay. couldn't put it over. Uh, you, you're saying the same thing, Jess. Um, but yeah, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for yes, listening. thank you. Um, yeah, th thank you for having me on and uh, hope you had a good time. Yeah, yep. good, good. Uh, the only thing I'll say is, uh, as I said at the start, if, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, like, comment and subscribe is great. It really gets everyone involved and, and share with your friends. Share the links on Facebook, Instagram. Try to get this podcast out there. We're getting sort of roughly at least, on average anyway, 150 uh, folk watching each one on YouTube and, and it's getting a bit bigger on Spotify as well. So keep that up. I appreciate that hugely. Um Doing this is is a uh, great fun for me. I just get to talk to some really interesting folk. I don't know what's coming in two weeks because it is currently still the start of February, and I'm pretty sure this is March second. Where you'll hear that eighth or some twelfth, I think you'll you'll see this. Uh, so yeah, thank you for coming along. Uh, thank you to Jess for being here, and uh, we will see you in two weeks.